0: You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Last week I commented how I was preaching through an entire chapter of the Bible and how I could have done that in three or four different sermons. Uh, and it was all of 47 verses. And you thought, man, that is a lot. This week you're getting 71 verses, okay? 71 verses, which I believe is my current record um, at First Baptist Rock Dota, to dive through 71 verses. An average sermon is about 15 verses. Takes me about 30 minutes to do. Extrapolate that out. I don't know. That, that looks like yeah, about two or three hours. We'll be out of here, okay? Um, so hopefully you don't have any lunch plans. Um, but, uh, but we'll dive in. No, we'll, we're going we're gonna to do this. Um, when you preach a large section of scripture, we're in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can open to John chapter 6. When you preach a large section of the Bible, um, I'm going to put some onus back on you, okay? Um, because uh, 71 verses, just to read 71 verses, uh, could take uh, 15 minutes uh, at the pace that you probably want to read for public consumption. Um, and so there's going to be some jumping around today. My promise to you is that anything that I'm jumping, um, I'm going to try to summarize as we go. Um, but there is more in there than what I'm saying today. So you can go home um, tonight or this afternoon and you can pick up and you can kind of get all of the details. Um, but I'm going to give you the broad brushstrokes of what Jesus is doing in John chapter 6. And what, what we're coming off of is Jesus has just healed the man at the, at the pool at Bethesda, uh, got him to walk, and then had a confrontation. And then that confrontation with the leaders... Um, In Jerusalem, he basically set himself up and said, Look, I am the unique Son of God, and if anyone wants to have life, they're going to need to believe in me. And because of this, uh, there was a movement underway to begin to look for a way to kill Jesus. That that is where we are in the story of Jesus' ministry. He's identified who he is, and there is risk now to his life out there. And we pick up in John chapter 6. We'll read the first couple verses and then we'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit. It says that after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. I'm going to stop there. So it's now Passover season. Uh, which is this one big celebration. It's probably the largest celebration uh, in the Jewish life. Um, it's a time when they would go back and remember the story of Exodus. If you remember the story in Exodus, um, God's people, the Jewish nation, was uh, enslaved in Egypt. They lived underneath a, a Pharaoh who would not let them go. And so God raised Moses up to free them from Egypt. And he did this through a series of plagues culminating and the final plague, which led to Passover. And on this final plague, God spared the Jewish nation uh, of great death, but, but inflicted on Egypt uh, the death of all of their firstborn males, animals, and people. Um, so it was a day of great tragedy in Egypt, but a day of victory um, for, for the Jewish nation. And then God led them out, led Israel out of there and through the Red Sea and then into Um, the desert, and where he provided for them daily with manna. Every single day, God would provide with them for manna daily. And so it's Passover season, and Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he has all these people who are coming to him to see his signs, right? He's kind of like a circus show. They want to see the show. They don't necessarily believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but they know that he can do some things that they don't see anywhere else. And so they tune in any chance they get to see what is this miracle-working man named Jesus going to do next. You have a large crowd of people, uh, and this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not going to read the story, um, but you know the story. Jesus looks out across the crowd. There's about 5,000 men there, plus women and children, and there's about 5,000 men there. Uh, and he looks at him and he says, how are we going to feed these people? He asked one of his disciples that. And the disciples like, that is a question that I am not equipped to answer because we cannot feed these people. That is not a good idea, Jesus. Right? It would cost us 200 days wages to feed these people. And that would just give them each a bite. right? And we don't have 200 days wages. Jesus was a relatively poor uh, man. Right? There, apparently there wasn't a lot of money and miracle working back in that day. Um, And so Jesus wasn't affluent. He couldn't just go and take his American Express down to the local deli and get food for everyone. And and they said, look, we're we're a remote place. We're not near anything. And then if we were to do it, it would cost us more money than we have. And he says, well, what do we have? And there was a servant boy of one of the disciples, probably someone who helped um, follow Jesus around and was present. And he had uh, five small loaves of bread, and two fish. And Jesus said, Well, let's use that. And he sits everyone down by groups and he divides the food up, and his disciples distribute the food. And at the end of the distribution of the food, these five small loaves and two small fish end up feeding 5,000 people with 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, that is not math that works. I mean, I'm, Like, I've had to do, like, some of the new math style, right, the the kind of newer math. Still doesn't even work with that, okay? No matter what form of math you're using, five tiny loaves and two small fish don't turn into 12 baskets of leftovers in full stomachs for 5,000 people. It doesn't work that way. It was a miracle of multiplication, and the people marveled at what Jesus was able to do, providing for them bread and meat. And Jesus is doing this on Passover to draw the eye of the person gathered to the miracle that had happened every single day for 40 years to the Jewish nation. Every day for 40 years, the Jewish people wandering in the desert had their daily food needs met. They would walk outside and they would gather up whatever they needed to eat for that day, and it was provided for them on the ground. There was manna, that's the name of the bread that God had made to set on the ground every day for 40 years, and twice on Fridays, okay? So every day for 40 years, they had their food provided for them daily, and Jesus is doing the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 associated with Passover to draw the eye of the, the, the person gathered and to draw our eyes back to the fact that he is the same God Right? The same God who provided the manna in the wilderness is the same God who provided the food for the crowd. Right? Jesus is trying to draw their eyes towards that because Jesus uh, is able to recreate the manna, manna miracle because he is the one who provides for our daily needs. You have daily needs. Every single one of us have daily needs. Jesus is in the business of providing for your daily needs needs. And after that, uh, the people were so amazed by that they gathered around and they wanted to make him king. And so they gather around Jesus and say, we're going to make you king. And Jesus, knowing that his kingdom was not to be at that time, said, I'm out. And he goes up to another mountain to disappear. He sends his disciples away by boat. His disciples are struggling to cross the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, by the way, is the size of Lake Livingston. When I lived on Lake Livingston, that was my a perfect analogy. It's exa- like the exact same size as Lake Livingston. Lake is kind of weird shape, but Sea of Galilee is more of an oval. But so it's not like this massive like lake that you can't imagine getting across. So they were crossing the sea and the winds turned against them and things weren't their way. And it was they were making poor progress crossing the sea, and night began to fall. And then Jesus leaves the mountain and walks across the water of the Sea of Galilee. Now this does not happen, right? This is an un usual miracle we'll read it real quick just to give you the whole thing in verse 16 this is what it says it "says evening came his disciples went down to the sea got in a boat and started across the sea to capernaum and it was now dark and jesus hadn't come to them yet and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles that's about halfway it's about seven miles across three or four miles they saw jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened as would i Uh, But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So Jesus comes walking across the the sea. And the disciples began to freak out because people don't walk on water. Right? I remember basically any time I'm at a pool, I try to walk on water. Get a full running start. Go as quick as you can. That first step almost feels like you're able to do it. Right? You get that first step in the water. And then, bam, face right in the water. Right? I can't do it. I don't have have that in me. But Jesus, being the miracle worker that he is, walks on the water. After providing the the, the manna miracle, he recreates the other major miracle associated with Passover, uh, which is the crossing of the Red Sea. Right? And in the crossing of the Red Sea, God goes before them and he parts the sea so the Israelites can go by on dry land. And Jesus, instead of parting the sea, just walks across the water as if it were dry land. Again, Jesus is trying to point their eyes back to the fact that the Passover story, this, this story of God's redemption and God's providing for his people, that he is the ultimate one who is provided. Right, Not that these stories are in the past, but that there is a present story taking place that is happening in their midst, in their day, where the, the, the Passover lamb is truly provided and finally provided. He's trying to draw their eyes back there and see the fulfillment in him. And the disciples, freaking out, but they see Jesus recreating the Red Sea miracle as Jesus is the same God who parted the Red Sea. Right? He's in the same, inside the same d- divinity that parts the Red Sea. Jesus walks across the sea as if it were dry land. And then we get Jesus going into town, and he has this uh, discussion with his disciples. And basically, everyone who was on the other side of the sea comes and searches for Jesus. And so they travel, and they, they finally figure out, oh, he's over in Capernaum. And so they get in their boats, and they go, and there's this mob of people again... Right, they just he just fed 5,000 plus people, right? And so now his name is becoming more and more famous. In fact, the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is recorded in all four gospels. It was a big deal, right? You would think like the raising of Lazarus or like I don't know the water into wine or walking on water. All of these seem like pretty noteworthy miracles. The only one that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recorded is this miracle here because it was so spectacular at that time. It brings the eye so much into what Jesus is able to do. And so all these people are gathering back to Jesus. They find Jesus, they gather around Him, and Jesus looks at Him and He says, Guys, I need to teach you a little bit about Passover, about manna, and about bread. And we're going to pick up in verse 27. And He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal, endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then he said to them, "What?" Then they said to Jesus, "What must we do to be doing the works of God?" A good question. What do we do to do these works? And Jesus said, answered, "This is the work of God. The one work of God is that you believe in Him whom He has sent." So they said, well, then what sign are you going to do to see so that we can believe in you? He's just fed 5,000 people, right? He's turned water into wine. He's healed a a man there. They're like, what sign are you going to do? So demanding for a sign. And they said, our fathers ate the manna in in the wilderness as a sign. Um, He said he, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus responded in verse 32 and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world and they, life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always that gives us life. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And he continues on, and he picks up in verse forty seven And he says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they died. This bread that comes down from heaven, uh, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh.'" and I in him. And all of a sudden, minds are blown because that is a weird teaching, right? Jesus is like, I am the bread of life. And I like, go, oh, it's an allegory. It's a metaphor. It's, yeah, we can work with bread of life metaphor. And Jesus is like, whoever eats my body and drinks my blood and they're like okay your metaphor just turned a little dark here all of a sudden right i'm not sure i really want to get engaged fully into the cannibalism part of your metaphor jesus can we move back away from that and when we get uncomfortable with it right reading it and you hearing it read some of you are like Whoa, that's that's rough let's get back to like uh, something more out there but what jesus is saying is look you have no life outside of me the Christian life, the life that you, uh, if you're a believer here today, claim to live, and you have a claim to live, is only as, as vibrant and as uh, full of life as you are connected to Jesus Christ. Right, Your life is found in Christ, and if you are not partaking in that life, I, I like to think of this like abiding. If you're not abiding with Christ, then you're not actually experiencing that life. And so we should have this daily communion with Jesus Christ, this daily time where we come back to him. We come back to him. We come back underneath him, and we say we need to abide in you. We need to become part of that because there's no life on our own. There's no life absent the Son. And Jesus wants them to know this because there's no life anywhere else. You know, the entire world system tells you there's life everywhere else. You can find life in your hobbies, in your work. You can find life in your relationships. You can find life uh, through substances. Like you can go and you can experience this full vitality of life. And they tell you that, like if you if you get this, then you'll experience life. Uh, this week I had this, this experience. I've never had it, uh, and I may or may not have it again. I don't know. Um, but I went. Uh, I took my grandmother to a restaurant. And when I say I took my grandmother to a restaurant, I mean. I, I met my grandmother, it was her 84th birthday, happy birthday, grandma, uh, and I met her at a restaurant, and my brother, uh, who, who lives a, a better world than I do, uh, took us to dinner, right, for, for, and I brought flowers, all right, so that, that's the way that worked out. I was going to take my grandma, my brother was a bad grandson and forgot that it was her birthday, and then found out I was coming in and said, hey, let me get in on that, so he came along, but he took us to this fancy restaurant, a restaurant that, that your, your dear pastor, Will not go to on his own dime. And I had uh, uh, two, two pieces of steak. I had more than that, but like uh, this is for the analogy purpose. I had two pieces of very, like, finest quality A5 Kobe beef. Okay? Right, and that, uh, the piano bar doesn't sell it. Okay? Um, the ranch doesn't have it, right? It, it's not here. Your cattle, which are, are probably lovingly cared for and fed out with, with, with wonderful things, uh, don't have whatever that is. I believe that a Kobe beef cow is in Japan and he lives and he's fed a very specific diet and he's like massaged daily and very limited light. Like it's spoiled, rotten, and it is expensive. Like when I saw the, now by the way, this is my cue for knowing whether or not I'm at the right restaurant. When I look at the menu and the restaurant is too expensive to include decimal points, I'm like, yeah, I'm not in the right spot. They're like 42. And I'm like, 42 what? Huh? Can I just add the decimal anywhere I want in here? Right? I don't know. Right? It was like 42.99. And then I'm like, oh, that's too expensive for me. Let's find the kids' meals. Right? That's how I work. Um, but at least they leave the decimal places on there for me to know what's up. It's expensive. I, I, I could never afford it. Right? And the world tells you, like, if you can get that, like you and you can experience that, like it change your world. And I had this. Like I had two ounces, or I guess it was a four-ounce steak, so I had like one and a third ounces of, of, this, of this steak because so we divided it between the three of us. And I ate it, and it was tender. And it was flavorful, and it was cooked to perfection. The, 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 the cook there did a wonderful job at this restaurant. Did cooked perfect. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I was like, yeah. I mean, steak. Right? Like I, I, okay, it was good, but it wasn't life Change what the world tells you. Like, if you'll get there, if you can get enough money that you can go and you can eat like this and you can live like this, you can travel like this, you can do this, you can put it on your Instagram and your life looks perfect. If you can do all these things, then you'll have real life. And I want to tell you, all of that stuff is ultimately empty. There's nothing wrong with it, right? That was a wonderful gift to my grandmother. Like, she was spoiled rotten. Every waiter who came by, happy birthday, grandma. Right? I mean, they were so doting and so, and it was a wonderful time. The sweetest time I've had with my grandma in years. A wonderful experience. I recommend the restaurant. If you're ever in Fort Worth and you have money to burn, BB Butchers, right? You can go, and you got, there's one in Houston too, as well, if you want to burn money in Houston, okay? Um, but if you've got money to burn and you want to experience real good treatment, they do a wonderful job. But I'll tell you what, I did not leave there thinking this is life. Because there's not real life in things. The world tells you there is, right? They always sell you another thing. They want to show you another thing. There's always another ad. There's another commercial. There's another person telling you, oh, this is what you need to be. It's all ultimately empty. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you bought into the myth that you can experience the true life, the better life, the good life somewhere else, I want you to put that away and go back to Jesus. Because in him is true life. He is the bread of life. And nothing else provides like he provides. We have to have daily communion with him. That doesn't mean that you have to have Lord's Supper every day. That's not what I mean by daily communion. I mean you need to be in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Your prayer life should be vibrant. Your, your, your scripture reading should be vibrant. Right? It's now February 28th. We're now two months into this year, 2021, and some of you, I guarantee, when this year began, said, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible more this year. I'm going to do a little better this year. Maybe I'll do the Bible in a year. Maybe I'll set out a three-year track, and I'm going to begin on that. And we're now two months into and some of you are not doing very well. Some of you didn't even try. You're like, I am not even going to try because I have failed at that before. I want to tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't care if you read the Bible at the pace that I read the Bible. Doesn't bother me at all. You need to be in the word of God because life is found there because Jesus' words are there. And through Jesus is life. This book is not life. There's not life because of the book. But Jesus is found here. And in Jesus' There is life. Continuing on, Jesus just taught this, and this is a hard teaching. And so when many of his disciples, verse 16, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then skip down to verse 66, and it says, After this teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, the, the, the 12 disciples, he says, Do you want to go away as Well, right, 5,000 people were at the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, right? And all these people are gathered together. And Jesus shares about abiding with him and that there's only life in him, that you can't find life anywhere else. He says there's life nowhere else. And they're like, we don't buy it. right? There's life in my father's business. There's life over here in my relationship. There's life here. There's life here. Jesus says there's no life anywhere else. And they abandon him. And all of a sudden, he's left from 5,000 to 12. And there's these 12 people gathered together. He says, are you going to leave too? We experience this in our lives, right? Like, like we have friends, and then all of a sudden something happens. We happen, right? The true part of you that you try really hard not to show anybody happens. And all of a sudden, those people who are close to you are like, yeah, I'm going to take a step back from that. I don't really want to engage with you anymore, And then there's someone who remains and we ask ourselves, are are they really going to stay too? Do they really, are you going to stay too? And Jesus asks his disciples, are you going to leave me as well? And Simon Peter in verse 68 answers him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter got it. First disciple to get it. He loses it in a little while. But the first disciple to get it. Jesus says, are you going to leave? And he says, to go where? There's nowhere else to go. Everywhere else says that there's life here and life there, but we, we've explored it. We know it's not there, and we have witnessed you. And we know that you are the Holy One of God, the Son of God. We can't go anywhere else. But for a lot of us, we enter into our relationship with Jesus Christ. We, a lot of us, we enter into it when we're young. Right? I love baptizing uh, you know, 8, 9, 10-year-olds. It's a wonderful experience. You see them start their faith young. But sometimes when we get baptized young, we have these relationships younger. Maybe you came to Christ older, uh, but you had the same experience. Right? You, you say there's life in Jesus, and you enter into life with Jesus, but something happens along the way. You begin to get choked out, you begin to buy into other systems, you begin to think that there's another way, there's other hope, there's other places for life. Yeah, I was taught that, but, but this seems, you know, like this should be and not this. And so we begin to argue inside of ourselves and we struggle with what the world has put before us. I understand it. Right, I got saved at 15, at 19, I had a crisis of faith. Four years into my relationship with Jesus Christ, a crisis of faith. Thank you, Houston Baptist University, for that. Right? I had a crisis of faith as I dealt with some things that I had never experienced before in my faith. Came out on the other side because I came back to exactly the same place Peter was. So where else am I going to go? There's only life in Christ. But maybe you went there, and maybe you wandered down that path. And when things got hard, and following Christ became difficult and less acceptable in the circles that you ran in, you just began to pull back. It's not that you renounced your faith. It's that you just kind of like, you know, I, I believed, and, yeah, I go to church sometimes, you know, whenever it's Easter or Mother's Day, whatever, yeah, I kind of showed up a little bit. I want you to know there's no life anywhere else. And if you're wandering down that path, right, we need to heed the words of Peter. There's life nowhere else. A lot of those people, those 5,000 people who left Jesus, roughly, who just wandered from Jesus when things got rough, when teachings became hard, when they became uh, unpalatable. People tell us that about the Bible today, by the way. Right, like, yeah, I mean, that stuff. They, they really give Paul a hard time. Paul, Paul gets beat up a lot in our culture because um, he's misogynistic, um, according to current modern-day culture. Right, like, yeah, Paul hated women. Yeah, I don't think Paul hated women. Paul was fine with women, right? There's women serving throughout the church and doing all sorts of things alongside of Paul. Paul was not anti-woman. But if you read, uh, you can find some things in there that culturally today in the year 2021, we're like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I like how that feels. doesn't fit me quite right today. Maybe it worked in the first century. doesn't feel very good in the 21st century. But guys, there's, there's no life in 21st century wisdom if it's found outside of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to surrender yourselves fully to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And, and put those teachings over your opinions. Put those teachings over your political allegiances. Put those teachings over what feels good in conversation with peers. Because there's no life in any of those other things. There is no life in the Republican Party. There is no life in the Democratic Party. There is no life Right, in any activity that you seem to find purpose and hope in, there's no life in the Rotary Club or the Lions Club. There's no life in, in a Rockdale Tiger fan or a Cameron Yeoman fan. And I, guys, that's hard for me to admit. Right? There's no life anywhere outside of Jesus. I'm not saying you can't be a part of those things, I'm just saying. Your allegiance to Jesus must supersede your allegiance to parties and to clubs and to activities. Your allegiance to Jesus should supersede your allegiance to First Baptist Church Rockdale. Where our church turns away from the teachings of Jesus, you should follow Jesus. If our church turns away from following Jesus Christ, talk to me. Please, truly, talk to me. Because I don't want to lead us in a direction away from Jesus Christ. But where the the church, where the organization, where your club, where your party runs away from Jesus, we stay loyal to Jesus. And some of us are so loyal to other things that we struggle. We struggle being able to look back and step back and be like, oh, my my allegiance is world, not Christ. If you're a believer today, your your primary allegiance must be Be Jesus Christ. Believe in Christ alone for life, and believe in Christ alone and His teachings for your life. If you're not a believer here today, I want you to know that anything that you chase is empty. It is literally a chasing after the wind. You can reach and reach and reach, and you will never grab full satisfaction and joy. It is empty and vacant. And you might eat a good meal for a day. You may feel full. You may see some things that excite you or make you happy. But anything outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ is ultimately vanity. The book of Ecclesiastes, take some time, read that, and look at how Solomon wandered the world looking for satisfaction. (laughs) Looking for something. And ultimately finding out that really ultimate satisfaction comes in, in knowing the word of God, in fearing God. Guys, I want you to know there's no life out there. If you're on a treadmill, you're chasing your own tail, you just run, 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 try to stay up, stay current, you think you're going to make it, stop, get off, trust Jesus. Stop, get off, trust Jesus. He's better. And in him is real life. Real, vibrant life. And the church is called to be living people and one of the problems you got a lot of zombies in the church who once were alive who have now taken death back on themselves i'll tell you life is still there so so choose life right that you might live right that, that, uh, that's in there choose the way of life which is the way of jesus today let me pray